Hello, Freedom Fighters. Thank you for listening. This audio interview is brought to you by Open World Magazine, the ultimate guide for pursuing a life of adventure and passion and setting up a location-independent business that can support your dream lifestyle. Go check us out at openworldmag.com. Hey guys, so I'd love it if you could join our Facebook group, Digital Nomad and Freedom Fighter Collective. We're creating a movement here and I'd like you to join. Go on there and introduce yourself, share your goals with us, and join in the discussion. If you have any questions or comments, anything you'd like to share, feel free to reach out to me through the Facebook group. And as my personal gift, you can also find a free copy of my audiobook for Buy Your Own Island in the file section of that group. I really look forward to seeing you there and hope you enjoy this interview. Thank you. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Open World Podcast. I'm so glad that you joined me today. I'm joined by Teo Roxon, and he's a man with a big dream to make a big difference in the world. He's the host of As Told by Nomads podcast and has a YouTube channel called Use Your Difference, which helps elevate cultural awareness. He also helps millennials to pursue their passions and careers they love while making a difference. Teo is a true global citizen and nomad. He has called Sweden, Burkina Faso, Nigeria, Vietnam, and the United States home. I've been a guest on Teo's podcast, and we had a great discussion, talked about leadership, and we also identified a common mission to help cultivate and create a new generation of global leaders. We both agree that there's a lack of young leaders out there, and I'm really excited to have him here to pick his brain. Just want to say welcome, Teo. Thanks for being here. Hey, pleasure is mine, man. It's good. It's good to have you uh, to be on your show. I know you were on my show last time, so uh, I'm happy to be on. Oh, I remember our conversation last time. I was, I was like full of energy after. It was such a great chat. Uh, <laughs> hey, that's what happens when you bring two like-minded people together, you know? <laughs> that was good rapport. Um, so I'm calling today from Chiang Mai. It's in the afternoon here. It's quite late there. You're in New York, right? I'm in New York, and it's 1.33 a.m. <laughs> now, that is true dedication. So, Teo, I owe you a debt of gratitude for staying up so late to be here with us. Oh, uh, no, it's fine. It's fine. This is this is what we do. This is what we do. It's a commitment, you know, commitment to making the world a better place, commitment to putting out good content. So I'm happy to do it. I remember uh, last year I did an interview with Entrepreneur on Fire. It was at three in the morning, but it was the only slot that they had open. And <laughs> I think I had like three cups of coffee at like 2.30 to get myself going for that one. <laughs> and you made Made it. We made it. Yeah, I've I've actually had him on the show, um, and luckily we you know they're Pacific time. He was in Pacific time, so it wasn't too late for me. But uh, yeah, yeah, he was straight twenty five minutes. Uh, but he was very efficient. <laughs> yeah, he is. We've had him on this podcast too, and I I look at those experiences like I think they're really good because um, you know there's a quote I like that it says you've survived one hundred percent of your worst days. And yeah. whenever I go into like an interview or something and I have like a cold or a headache and I'm on the verge of rescheduling, but I know that I'll never be able to get this person, you know, I'll never be able to get this one-on-one -on -one again. And I just yeah. go through it and we get through it. Everything goes fine and it turns out great. And yeah, for me, yeah. it's like a good reference experience. Like I feel like, you know, look, I was in this horrible situation before. I just went through and I pushed on and everything worked out fine. I think that's really empowering. I agree. I, I think uh, it, 
throughout history, when people, a lot of people, when they're about to experience success, there's this dip that people go through. And too many people quit before that, you know, before that dip is about to take a turn for the better. And if, you know, if someone were to look through a lens, they would have seen that, like, wow, there was, you were just about to, to actually hit that sweet spot and you, you gave up too quickly. So, yeah. um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I think it's life. And I think a lot of these things serve as lessons, as you say. And I think, um, yeah, it's very much the, the type of, um, lessons I think today's leaders need to understand because we do live in a very complex world. Yeah, that's a great point. Life is always in flux. It's not like a straight upward ascent. You know, there's going to be turns and dips and, you know, rising and falling. Sometimes you just have to wait out the bad times. Sometimes you keep pushing forward even if you don't feel like it. Well, okay, I, we kind of jumped into this so quickly, but I would like you to uh, take me back to the beginning. Tell me about your backstory. Introduce yourself and uh, how, tell us how you got here where you are now. So I, I like to describe myself as a walking contradiction. Uh, and, and that's because, you know, I, I grew up in five countries and four continents, as, as you mentioned. Now, my dad is, you know, was a diplomat. He just retired. And as a result of his job, you know, well, you just move. You move every three years, every four years or every whatever, eight years, depending on what the government says. And growing up that way, I found myself being, you know, constantly in between cultures. I was a minority everywhere I went. And something in me always wanted to to find a way to connect. So initially, I, I think the first time I became really cognizant of this was I, I was 10, 11 years old, and I had just moved to Burkina Faso. That's a country in West Africa, a French-speaking country. Me being from Nigeria, uh, where we speak English, um, it, that was already enough of a culture shock. But then add to that the fact that you're going to go through puberty uh, during that period, and you're also in, in an American international school. So it was the first time I really came into contact with a lot of Europeans, a lot of Americans, people from different races, but also a different language, a different culture. So initially, you know, it wasn't the easiest of experiences, but out of a need to connect, I sort of started finding my connectors, and I've just never looked back since, you know. Um, uh, you know, after finding my connector, I, I started to look at the world um, through different lenses because I started really studying one of my biggest role models of all time, Nelson Mandela and Oprah. And with Nelson Mandela, it was watching him and reading about how and he connected, um, you know, the blacks in South Africa to the whites uh, after spending 27 years in jail and just understanding the methods that he, he took to, to have inclusion and social justice. And with Oprah, it was sort of a, a tact for how she used media to tell interesting stories and made you feel like you could become a better version of yourself. So those two things really influenced and shaped my childhood before I was a, I was a teenager. And um, I always wanted to do that on, on a global front. So that's that's kind of the, the, the backstory of, of why I ended up uh, launching a media company and uh, focusing on what I focus on today. And so you've also lived in some other places too, like Sweden, Vietnam. Mm. Was this when mm -hmm. you were, were a youth or when you were an adult? No, yeah, no, no. It was, it was a mixture of both. I mean, Sweden, I was, it was like, I was one to three. That's when my youngest was born. Um, Nigeria, I was born in Nigeria. I did middle school and high school there. Um, no, I did, no, I did elementary and high school there. I did my middle school in Burkina Faso. I did, um, uh, while I was in college, I, I was, I, we were in Vietnam for three years so I would be on and off, um, you know, go there for summer, go there in between, come back. Um, 
it would be that Nigeria and Virginia. So it's three countries um, sometimes. But you know, it was throughout throughout um, my uh, my life uh, up until I was twenty uh, um, ish. That's when I really stopped um, moving around with my parents and I started making my own first intentional moves. I see. I remember, you know, back in my childhood, it's kind of similar to yours. Like I wasn't hopping between countries, but mm-hmm. my my parents weren't together very long. They weren't married, and um, you know, ever since I was as young as I could remember, like I would live in two different houses. I would spend, you know, three days at one house and four days at the other. And both my father and mother married other people, so we moved to other places and, uh, you know, constantly changing cities and locations. And I just felt like I always felt kind of a little bit like an outsider. You know, it was difficult right. to to make like a circle of friends, you know, that uh, would be around for the long term, you know, or people that I really knew well. Do you ever find that... Uh, one second, Ted. So yeah, I definitely felt like there was, I, and I carry this into my adulthood, you know, where I felt a little bit like an outsider, like, and I've always kind of just shied away from groups, you know, like I just preferred doing things my own way. I kind of kind of just developed my own unique way of doing things. Did you find like a similar experience? Like, was it really difficult to uh, socialize with people and to feel like you fit in? No, I mean, initially I had shades of that, but I, what I did was I, I, I was determined not to to feel that way because I, you know, I had a, you know, I called myself a walking contradiction at the beginning and that's because I have introvert, introvert tendencies as well as um, extrovert tendencies. So I'm essentially an ambivert. Um, so my initial reaction when I first came into contact with all those differences was, was to recoil and to be like, whoa, this is, this is just strange. But at the same time, I knew that I, I needed to, to understand other people and connect with them. Um, and it was always those two forces was coming together. So you know, what I did was, was, uh, you know, find out what it was that I could do to connect other people. And, um, I always encourage people to do this, find the connectors. I, I started realizing that I gravitated towards sports from an early age. I always wanted to be an athlete. So when I moved to, to, uh, Burkina Faso, I remember the first time I realized that every, the other boys on, on campus, uh, on, in school, they played different sports other than soccer. And I, I only played soccer up to that point. And I saw that basketball was, was big and tennis was big with them. So I went to the library, read up on the history of basketball, read up on the, on the history of basketball, history of tennis, so I could understand all the rules. And then um, so I could get a better grasp of how it got started and who the players were. And then pair that up with reading all the current magazines so I could know who the current players were. And after I felt like I, I was fully cognizant of everything, I, I went up to, to the best basketball player on campus and said, hey, so I, I know all the rules now. I know all the history. Can you, can you teach me, you know, like how to apply it? I think, you know, and um, luckily he said yes. But those one-on-ones became two-on-twos and three-on-threes and four-on-fours. And I gradually started to find my way within that audience. And as I grew older, I started to look for things that I could connect to people on and basically focus on those things. So, yeah, I mean, I, I initially felt lonely, but then I, I started getting better at highlighting um, common grounds, even when it seems like on the outside we, we don't have any common ground. Interesting. So you developed this skill where you are really able to absorb cultural differences and uh, integrate them into your own character and also find ways to connect with people who are very different from you but finding common ground. Developing, you know, 
cultural competency skills. And, um, and, and that was just something that I, it felt natural to me. And I started to realize that even though I, I, you know, I can be alone in my room and I love that a lot. And, you know, I have, sometimes I'm at a conference, I just need to go upstairs just to, to, de- get, to decompose. But, um, I also get energy from people at the same time. And the type of work that I want to do, which is to build the next set of global leaders, involves me being in front of, of people, involves me being in front of people from different backgrounds that don't agree on certain issues and me helping them to form bridges instead of walls. So that to me overtook any uh, form of shyness that, that I may have had or any form of um, fear I may have had. You know, I still go on stage now and I still have all these nerves and butterflies. And right before stage, I'm like, ah, oh, what are you doing? What are you doing? And I get up and then I, you know, I quickly turn that off. But um, I try to channel that nervousness into something, you know, positive. Just because, I get, like we were talking before the call, 2016 is an interesting year. And it's an interesting year because a lot of people come into the realization that they they don't know their neighbor. The world is more divided than they thought they than they thought it was. And there's a lot to know. So that work uh, keeps me up and lets me know that I can't afford to not share what I've learned or share different ways to bridge gaps. There's so many different rabbit holes we can go down here now. Um, <laughs> I just want to ask you first, though. What else have you learned as a result of this unique upbringing, as a result of being a nomad? How has it enriched you? Um, what lessons have you learned? Are there any moments that stand out? Are there any moments that stand out? I mean, other than, I mean, I shared with you the, the basketball story. Um, you know, the thing that you learn is that everybody wants to be understood. They want to be, they want to connect in some way. But I think the lessons that, I, that I've learned is they're all centered around the fact that at, at the core of who we all are, there is a, a general um, idea of, of success that we all want to achieve. And how we get there is where a lot of people um, you know, um, differ in opinion, whether they, they think it's through a group or through an individual. You know, the, it's, it's just a different type of culture. So what I've used have used that to to help me with businesses and stuff like that is to say that it's okay for you to be as different as you are because that's the way your culture brought you up but we can still work together to help you achieve a goal even though i have a different way of achieving that i'm not explaining i'm not doing a good job of explaining it but um what i'm essentially saying is that the whole world has the same goal to want to do better but they all have different ways and different routes that they take to get there and it's a matter of learning now to appreciate those different routes that matters, not about trying to say your way is better than the other way. I think that's where the source of conflict comes. So basically what you're telling me is all of this comes, the heart of all of this is empathy and being able to understand that other people have similar feelings to your own and being able to look at life through their eyes because we're more alike than we are different, in fact. Yeah, and even if we are different, it's okay to say to actually accept those differences. I think sometimes a lot of people try to say your difference is too strange for me to even consider, um, and then or it's yeah. something fearful. Yeah, something something fearful that I don't want to implement, and that's where we do a lot of ourselves a disservice because then we don't benefit from a diversity of thought or open mindedness. People are not looking, willing to even consider the 
uh, argument on the other side of the table, you know, because I think both, you know, no matter what public, uh, political party you belong to, whether you're Republican, Democrat, most people want what's best for their communities, you know, for their country. You know, they just have different ways, different opinions on, you know, how they think they can do it. And if you can just accept that and talk to someone who has another opinion other than your own and say, look, I know that you have, you know, good intentions. Here's what we might disagree on, you know, but I'd like to hear your point of view and see where we can find some common ground. I think that's a very valuable skill to have and it's something a lot of people are lacking. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, we should start looking for validation and prove they were right. And we should start looking for ways to, to improve society as a, as a group. And like looking at this, like the recent political election as an example, you know, so much of what we saw, what has taken place, this uh, all this airing of dirty laundry, I don't know if that's even the right word, it's, it's been much more messier than that. Mm. <laughs> uh, throwing mm. dung at each other and, you know, uh, it's so much of it seems to be rooted in fear, you know, like uh, the Democrats Absolutely. are afraid of racism and, you know, sexism and the people on the other side are afraid of, you know, foreigners taking their jobs and, and you know, globalism taking their jobs, you know, factories in China. Uh, but, but both people, they just want, you know, a better life for themselves, whatever, whatever their interpretation of that might be. Yeah, which is which is so funny because, you know, if you're if you as a group of people, what I saw from the elections, what I've seen from Brexit and all these other things is the fact that after these results happen, there are many people that come out in surprise because they didn't realize that that many people thought that way. And that just shows me that not enough people are listening to any of to the other side, to the neighbors or to anything, because for anyone to be as surprised as they've been, like, oh my goodness, I didn't vote because, I mean, it seemed obvious that this was going to win, or I didn't realize that you thought that way. Do you really think that foreigners like this, or do you really think that these people take these jobs? People don't know what the other person thinks. And that that in itself is a very scary thing, because if you don't know, you start making ignorant choices and ignorant decisions, which is how you build another set of leaders who do the exact same thing. Yeah. Okay, so we're on to something really good here because we've made these decisions out of fear, basically. You know, most people seem to be acting out of a place of fear. And I think it was Nelson Mandela who you mentioned earlier that said, you know, may your choices reflect your hopes, not your fears. So why aren't we making choices based on our hopes? Why are we living in such fear? I wish I knew the answer. I wish I knew the answer, but I mean, a lot of it is, you know, with fear mongering, it's very, people are always looking for a scapegoat. When people want, people are afraid, and you have that type of society, and you have uh, someone that comes out, whether it's charismatic or just by sheer force, he says, I have a way to solve your problems. These are the people that cause them. Come with me. And, and make sure that we get those people out of here. Because once they're out, you will, um, you know, you'll be better. That seems to be the way we've solved problems in the last two to five years. But that, if, if, if we all fall for that, I think it's because we have, a lot of people have, um, how do I say this in a nice way? There's not enough people willing to do the work to be educated on the environment around them. 
So it's a very lazy form of thinking where you don't think you should actually um, um, educate yourself on another side because you've grown up to think that your side is the only correct side, that there's the other side does not have um, an added benefit to, to your way of life or your way of thinking. So if you already grow up thinking your way is the only way and your way is the best way, you're not going to be inclined to try and, and even consider another way. And I think when you have globalization, what happens is you have different people inevitably coming in a different environment and you're going to cross with people that already think that their way is the best way. And there's going to be inevitable conflict and what happens happens. Um, so we just have to get back to the place of, you know, studying and getting to know each other and asking questions and being okay with being uncomfortable for, for a little bit. Yeah, but humans are so complex, though. You know, the things that we think would make sense often don't. And I know that, uh, are you familiar with the work of Malcolm Gladwell? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and Malcolm Gladwell has a lot of, uh, he's done a lot of interesting studies on this and, and uh, you know, why what you think would be linear and logical often doesn't tend to work out that way in practice. So, for example, like, um, you know, he'd ask questions like, why are people in Colombia happier than people in Sweden or something, you know? And it'd be like, well, if you look at the cultural context, when everyone else is around, around you is poor, uh, you don't feel so bad about being poor. But if you're poor and everyone else is rich, then you're probably going to kill yourself. You know, that's basically what he said. And, and there's some other interesting things, like in the book uh, David and Goliath, that he says, you know, where uh, when, when the city of London was being bombed by the Nazis, um, you know, if, if they... If a missile landed in your neighborhood and destroyed your house, it was terrible. But if it happened to the house next to you, then you don't feel bad about it. You feel stronger than you did before because that was a near miss. And, and suddenly you're more resolved to fight. Uh, you know, so little things like that. And he talks about you know, the, the violence between North and South Ireland, you know, between Protestants and Catholics. And so um, I don't know where I'm kind of going with this, but <laughs> it's like I, I think that's you know, like, yes, we should feel like we, sh we should understand other people, uh, but there seems to be like this fear of the unknown, this fear of the other, you know, kind of like that near miss, like if it's, if, if it's easier to blame a scapegoat whom we haven't met or we don't really understand, then that takes all responsibility off of us and our own actions, which is hard to do. It, it takes the responsibility, the burden off of actually understanding other people and it just kind of fixes the solution, even though it's not a real fix. Sorry, it fixes the problem. Yeah, I mean, no, I mean, you raise a lot of valid points, but, you know, the thing that I will say is I'll, I'll counter with two Nelson Mandela quotes, and one of the first quote, I'm a huge Nelson Mandela fan, so when you, you open a can of worms by mentioning him, but um, he says, he said, as long as poverty, injustice, and gross inequality persist in our world, none of us can truly rest. So that idea, you know, if you have all these constant inequalities, there's always going to be a source of conflict, whether it's from poor to rich or haves to have-nots, and that's going to cause some form of conflict, no matter, you know, you know, just how people should act. And I think we have a lot of what, the gap between the, the haves and have-nots is continually getting wider, and it's it's just it's causing a lot of source of conflicts. Pair that up with. Um, kind of people grouping some people together as as a, as a source of problems it becomes this all like you say complex 
um, issue that no one wants to actually tackle because you can't tackle it with a one size fits all. Um, yeah. So, um, that's one. And the other, the other one I was just going to say, it had to do with, um, education. And he says, education is the most powerful weapon which you can use to change the world. And the reason I bring that up is if we know that we live in a complex world, we know that we live in an increasingly globalized world. And we understand that with globalization comes mass migration, comes, um, interest in digital platforms, uh, comes different businesses opened up in different cultures. It, it would behoove us, whether it's obvious or not, to actually understand the environments that we seek to, to, to play in. And if we don't do that as a society, we are really doing ourselves a, a disadvantage because we're not taking advantage of what true globalization can benefit us from. So it, it, it has to be people that dare to be different, that, that dare to stand out and call out the systems that are broken and say, hey, we've been doing this for a while. Let's deviate. It's time to deviate. This is not working. I'm going to stand here. You might not follow me now, but if two of you come, maybe we can make a difference in this society and you guys can see how much we're making a difference in. But someone has to step up. Yeah, you raise a lot of great points there. So I agree with you that education, you know, we have the most educated global population of all time. You know, we've never been so well educated as we are now. We've never had so much abundance as we have now. Why is it that inequality still persists? Why is it that ignorance still persists? Why can't we create a post-scarcity economy? Is there, what's holding us back? Yeah, no, I mean, that's a question I ask myself every day. And I think, <laughs> I, but you, honestly, you, you know, that's, that's, that's why I'm up here once at 1.57 in the morning and talking to you because, you know, hopefully other people listen to this and listen to the, the passion that we both have with this and say, hey, maybe I can be that person that can solve that problem in my community. And the more people that think like that, the more we can do. Okay, so it comes down to leadership and we identified one of the qualities of a good leader is to make their choice based on, make their decisions based on their hopes and their aspirations rather than making decisions out of fear like we were talking about earlier. Uh, what else are some of the, the good qualities of leadership, you know, what should we aspire to now, you know, as, as individuals? Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I think one of the, the biggest things is, is probably seeing the bigger picture, um, seeing, and seeing the bigger picture means you, you see how things affect you from a specific level and a general level. So I think if we're able to attack problems with not just one eye with like, say, okay, if I solve this school problem here, maybe 500 students will benefit from this and that would take them away from the streets and that would help them grow into a university. So maybe I should also concurrently work on, on building a school here and creating an avenue for the jobs. I think sometimes when people solve problems, they only do in a, in a singular format and they don't actually complete the process. So if you're going to solve a problem, think about it in, in its entirety. And I think we need more leaders to be able to, to, to attack the full life scale of problems as opposed to doing quick fixes uh, and saying, oh, I, I fixed the well here, so I, I'm done. But what happens when the person goes back home and there's no access to um, electricity or there's no access to you know, books or there's no access to, to a school? What happens? The person has water, but then 
you haven't really solved another problem. You know, so it, it comes down to sitting down with, with people from different backgrounds or people um, that, that are like minded and saying, I'm going to use my strength here. You use your strength here and we're working together to a common goal, which is to ensure that this 500 kids uh, have better lives. And that's one of the qualities, another quality of a great leader is being able to find common ground, be able to connect with people. Yeah. Yeah. See, see the bigger picture. Uh, what do you have an exercise that you recommend for seeing the bigger picture? Cause I'm just trying to think, uh, I have a kind of just like a set of values, you know, like daily values and, and kind of just like ethos that I try to live by, you know? So one example might be every day I try to add value to people and things and help people as much as I can, even if I had no expectation in return of getting anything back. Do you mm -hmm. have a, a set of criteria or an ethos that you live by that helps you to, to manifest this? So every day I make sure I put a smile on at least five people's faces and they're generally strangers for the most part. And if you're going to try and put a smile on his face, it starts with having a conversation, um, saying hello, asking them how they're theirs. And the reason why this is so simple is because not a lot of people ask these, ask these questions. How are you? How was your day? And truly mean it and say, hey, good afternoon. I noticed something you did. So it's putting a smile on someone's face or, or complimenting five people. Um, that's always a goal of mine. And the reason why I do that is because you never know what type of conversation you're going to have out of any of those. Um, I've, I've had people say that I was having a horrible day. Or, like, thank you for doing that. That really put a smile on my face. Today was, you know, you know, I was going to do something this way. I was going to yell at this person, but now I, I'm, I'm, I'm in a better mood. And just those little things, you know, matter. Because then you start to build your, your, your ability to talk to other people because you become more emboldened to, to notice um, things. And you become more emboldened to to talk to people that are different from you and you don't feel as shy or, or as, as uh, inadequate um, in, in um, areas where you're, you might not be uh, um, entirely comfortable. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a great way to build your own empathy and you know, kind of develop the muscles and the habit of being able to connect yeah. with people. And you're also you know, taking a, a small step to make the world better as well. Yeah, I, yeah, and also read, read about things you don't understand. Like if I'm, I'm here, and we've been talking about, we haven't talked about it, but what's been going on in the Dakota Access Pipeline, you know, with Native Americans, if you find something that you don't understand, do the research, read. There's so many ways in today's world that we can learn. There are YouTube videos, there are people you can ask questions. I've, you know, you talk to other other people, maybe other Native Americans, ask them what's going on. And just ask. Let your curiosity guide you. Don't don't stifle that curiosity. Curiosity is a good thing. It doesn't kill the cat, like they say. <laughs> use it. Use it for good. You know, if you're curious about something, find out about it and do something about it. Um, I, I think, you know, if you let your curiosity guide you, um, I think a lot of good things will come out of that. Taylor, how do you uh, how do you react when someone is out to uh, harm you or you feel like someone has done something wrong to you or uh, you know maybe you've had a bad situation how do you react hmm. to that <laughs> I mean yeah, we're all human right so I mean yeah. uh, there, um, there are times when I 
I probably would react in a way that that I, I I would if I was looking at myself. I'd say calm down, but um, I mean I'm generally a passionate person, so it means I'm very impulsive. But in what I've tried to do, uh, I wouldn't say I've entirely succeeded, is to you know just try and, and take that bigger bigger picture approach. It's like okay, this person did something to harm me. What would be the benefit of me retaliating one? me confronting this person uh or me you know walking away and i always ask those three questions retaliating confronting walking away if i confront the person maybe the person is close to me the person at least has a piece of my mind and knows how i'm coming from and even if we don't end up being friends or whatever again you know that person at least knows and maybe that person wouldn't do it again if i retaliate maybe it escalates and becomes something unnecessary or maybe it's exactly what the person needed and the person gets a consequence. And then if I walk away, you know, is that the best thing to do? So I try to ask myself that every time. Um, do I retaliate? Do, you know, do I walk away? Um, or do I confront the person? Yeah, uh, I, but yeah, it's not easy to though, because you have I, to I pause. You know, if you're familiar with stoicism and uh, how that works, it's like you feel grateful to people who have offended you or who have tried to hurt you because they direct you to certain values that you need as a leader, as a well-rounded person, because they're teaching you patience and they're teaching you restraints. And, uh, you know, you try to understand the other person's point of view, even if it's difficult. By putting you in that situation, they're putting you, giving you a chance to learn and to grow. And, I, you know, one of my other values is just like you. Like, one, I mean, I, I won't respond right away. Let, let the cooler head prevail. And... One of my values is like, I will not retaliate or give the person a piece of my mind, even if I feel I'm wronged. You know, even if I feel like I've been lied to or the person said something and I, they, you know, take the legs out from under me, you know, if we've begun a project or something like this, like, I'm not going to give that person a piece of my mind because I'm just going to let it go because there's nothing to be gained by retaliating or letting it go, uh, you know, trying to give them a piece of your mind. And then also the other thing is like, it's really difficult but if you can be grateful to that person and even feel compassion for them and appreciate that they're helping you to become a more evolved, more well-rounded being by learning patience, by learning restraint, then it kind of is like a game changer, I think. No, I mean, that, that's, that's, that's certainly great. And, that, you know, I, I'm not too familiar with stoicism, stoicism but um, <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of what I've read and a lot of, you know, what the I try to live my life that way, but it's, it's, you know, it's, it's reminded myself of those things. Uh, but you know, I'm not always successful, <laughs> but, um, I've certainly started asking myself those type of questions more and more just because the type of, you know, work that I do and it's more beneficial not to retaliate. It's more beneficial to have, um, to have conversations that encourage difference of opinions and for you not to react out of, Anger. Just like, okay, so I hear your point of view. Even if you offended me, uh, I can see how you maybe came to that point of view. Have you ever considered this way? You know, that I have to start doing that. So um, out of necessity, I've become more like that. But um, I have weaknesses once in a while. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, stoicism is really just about objectivity and, you know, not reacting to what you're feeling in the moment being able to look at what happened objectively 
And uh, I find it to be really helpful because if I go through a really difficult period, like in business, for example, and I lose, and this actually happened, you know, where I lose like three-fourths of my clients in like a month's time, and then there goes most of my income. You know, and suddenly I feel like, oh, I can't do anything, and I just want to crawl in bed and not leave home for two weeks, you know? But the way that I felt like I could do this is, you know, with stoicism, it doesn't look at any event as good or bad. It's all just a learning experience. You know, and there's something that can be gained from every experience, whether it's a failure or a success. And so in this case, you know, what you could do is, what I did is I gave myself a deadline and said, okay, Wednesday, if today is Saturday or Sunday, Wednesday is a deadline that I'm going to stop feeling bad about this. You know, I'm going to stop letting this depression rack my body and drain my energy, give myself a deadline, and then I'm going to, after that happens on Monday, I'm going to look at what were the reasons why I failed at this, you know, why did this situation happen? And then I was able to come up with you know, six or seven things that I could have done better. And from that experience, I created a much better, uh, much stronger business going forward because I realized that you know, maybe I wasn't communicating with my clients enough. Maybe I wasn't giving, I didn't make them feel like I was valuable enough. You know, maybe I could have done this better. You know, maybe I could, if I could suppress my own emotions well, long enough, I could even ask them what I could do better without letting my ego you know, get too wrapped up in this. And I think it's a really powerful exercise for anyone that wants to be a leader or to be an entrepreneur. I think in those moments when you feel the most challenged, that's when you have the opportunity to make the most growth. I think it's great. You know, the, the Danny course of stoicism is coming out soon. It's going to flood your inbox. <laughs> ah, so what I did there. So what I did. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I... I um, I definitely, I definitely think of the, everything you said is correct, um, and now I'm actually more curious about stoicism and uh, the principles. Check out the four-hour workweek blog. Tim Ferriss has a lot of articles on stoicism, and there's a few yeah. Facebook groups. Uh, I think you can get more information on that. But let me ask you though, because I wanted to ask. Uh, this is a point I made earlier. You're really up to a lot of different things, so I want to know how are you making this work, you know, pursuing your passion, pursuing this mission to build bridges and not walls. What's your business model? Or how is your business model working with that? <laughs> I just, so we were talking about it. So, a lot of, you know, my Clark Kent job is, you know, I, I, you know, I lead the, the media division and business development for a startup that helps millennials connect to jobs that they love and and. You know, at the core of it, it's helping people pursue a passion and making sure that they get in jobs they love, which ultimately helps them become better, uh, better leaders and happier people. At the same time, um, a, lo a lot of what I do with my media company um, is is to tell the right stories that aren't being told, be a voice for the voiceless, educate people on, on ways they can improve their cultural competencies. And I do that a lot of that through media. And the common thread between those companies is telling those stories. So at my we'll say branded you as the Clark Kent job. Um, I'm getting, you know, stories from different brands in the world that, you know, all the generations, younger generations want to know about. If it's from Nike, if it's from Airbnb, and having them talk about what they did to get that job. Um, tips they'll share. Uh, and, you know, you, you know you, I, I get paid for that because, you know, it's a full-time job. Um, and on, on, my, on my, you know, personal end, I'm telling the stories from my experiences and, and companies I've consulted with and talking about how I, you know, different companies have approached conflicts, how different cultures have, have 
talked about um, negotiation skills, how people have closed deals in that end. And then I'm using my podcast and YouTube show to just basically share their stories. And, and that leads to, you know, speaking engagements. That leads to um, consultancy projects with, with other um, organizations or individuals interested in that sort of thing. And, um, you know, courses and, and books. So, you know, essentially being a thought leader, you have many options in, in terms of um, uh make an income but it all it all has to start with your legitimacy so initially my approach to that was to build uh build that 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 audience and and show that show my expertise so i wasn't too concerned about making money on, on that personal end because i was i was always um supplementing that with my with my uh, um you know my other jobs and the more i started getting noticed and the more i started to to um get you know, all these speaking engagements and, and and consultancy jobs, you know, then I started to really put a structure behind that and say, okay, these months are my free months. These are the consultant hours. These are the prices. These are the only speeches I'll go to, blah, blah, blah. So stuff like that. You're really putting out a lot of content out there. You're, you're definitely a publisher. You're on Instagram, Twitter. You have a large following. You have several websites and blogs. You now have a YouTube channel. And you're mm -hmm. posting a lot of videos. Do you have any any tips for publishers, like as far as making this work and like you know getting these opportunities? Like, do you have a particular market that you target? Are you doing any kind of outreach to companies or anything? Did you please get these speaking gigs or consulting? Um. So, are you asking to maintaining these these publications or outreach tips to? Um, Client, potential clients. Yeah, well, I know that you're putting out a lot of content, but then you also have to, you know, market your content. You have to yeah. reach out to people and, you know, get them to engage, and then also finding where these opportunities exist because they're not really, they're not usually handed to you too often. I mean, that does happen, but usually no, 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 no. You have to find. <laughs> uh, it's a matter of delegating your skills. So if you get to a level where you you want to do create a lot of content. You've got to figure out. There are many uh, virtual assistants. Um, there, that would say, "Hey, I can, I can handle your social media posting, um, or I can handle the editing of your podcast, or I can handle the editing of your videos." That frees up time for you to to work on a proposal for your ideal client. That frees up a time for you to send the emails to the the you know ten of the clients that you like to get, and maybe get maybe two of them answer respond to you. That frees up time for travel. Um, but you've, you've got to start delegating, you know, initially you're probably going to do a lot of your things by yourself. You edit, you do the interview, you, you promote, but if you, if you, if you find, you know, virtual assistants and, and it's really, uh, it doesn't break the bank, you know, you could have platforms like, like buffer or, or like, um, Hootsuite or, or Edgar, you know, they consistently put out evergreen content. Then you start to be everywhere, uh, just because, you know. You know, you've committed to outsourcing the things that are normally granular details in day to day. But you know, once you start outsourcing, you find yourself freer to create the to build the brand that you want to build, which is yourself. So I always say outsource the things that um, uh, that you can and focus on the things that that build you. Yeah, that's a great point. So many people miss that step and they uh, resist outsourcing for so long. And uh, I actually have a whole section of that in my book. So if you're curious, go check out Buy Your Own Island on Amazon. 
has everything you need to know about outsourcing and systemizing to get yourself out of the chaos. But I definitely think that you should have a lot of hands-on experience in the beginning so that you know what you're doing and you know what kind of results yeah. you want. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's how you're going to inform wherever you hire to say, hey, I like, I like it this way, I like it that way. Um, you know, that's why for me it took me a long time before I could get anyone to help you because I, you know, I would know like, oh, I made a mistake in that interview. I have to go back to Denmark. I'm the only one that can hear that. No one else to hear it, you know. But you know, that's something that I had to get over. <laughs> but um, yeah, <laughs> and that's that comes down to that mindset of you know abundance. Also, I know that a lot of people and entrepreneurs, especially, you know, some some have that abundance mindset where they're willing to share the wealth a little bit and create a bigger pie, bake a bigger pie, whereas others are, you know, out to hoard every penny that they can, and they're never really much fun to work with, those kind of people. Right. Exactly. <laughs> or it's to true. have this pie. <laughs> uh, and I, yeah. think, I think part of that is because most of us have never had to manage a lot of money personally, you know, and we think that abundance means like, you know, buying the dinner for people or you know, getting a car, uh, a fancy car, or spending a lot of money on a fancy television. But I think in a business, you know, as far as creating wealth, that's not really what abundance is about at all. What would you say abundance mindset is, and, and kind of like you know, that whole concept of a rising tide lifts all boats, baking, creating a bigger pie rather than just trying to get a slice of it. No, I mean, I think you—that's exactly what it is. I think you described it like you know, that's. I, I really have nothing to add because um, that's exactly. What well, it is, do you have some some like abundance like exercises or tips for people that uh, to kind of cultivate this mindset? Abundance exercise. Uh, I mean, I you know like um, uh, like a gratitude journal is one I've I've seen thrown around. Um, sometimes I like. You to, know what's funny? Yeah, yeah. You ahead. know what's funny, Daddy? I actually do have a a gratitude journal that I, I write in every day. Well, it's not a journal, but it's my my Evernote. I create a before I go to bed, and when I wake up in the morning, I have a list of things I'm thankful for. And and I write them down and I write why the day was good and what I can do to make the day better if, if it doesn't turn out well. But um, I didn't think of it as helping abundance. It was just something I, I started doing uh, last year. And it's, it's uh, something I look at every time I wake up. One thing that I think is also really powerful that kind of expands on that, you know, just being grateful for things is also being grateful for people. And you know, if you're able to, like you said earlier, you have this exercise where you want to make five people smile. Well, I think another exercise you could do is just telling people that you appreciate them. You know, telling, saying, I'm, you know, I'm really grateful for you, Teo, because of, you know, everything that you, ta you taught us on this podcast. And, you know, if you could just tell five people that you're grateful for them uh, and, and implement that in all of your interactions, like your communication, whether it's via email and things like this, that's going to create more abundance, I feel. Yeah, no. no, 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 no. You should you should write another book, Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was one tip that I got. You know, you mentioned reading, and this was from a, a long time ago. Uh, Leo Lowndes. She wrote this book called How to Connect with Anyone. She wrote a bunch of books like that on communication, and one of the things she she really advocates is uh, creating positive anchoring in your communication. So, if you're writing an email, for example, that might be like a really positive subject line. You know, like grateful for your help or thank you for your help, you know, something that makes the other person smile, feel good, rather than saying, you know, like warning or emergency or cease and desist, you know, because that's going to make the person shudder and tighten up inside. And 
understanding how that email subject line is going to make the other person feel. And, um, you know, that's also, so what she says, it's, it's like NLP, positive anchoring, and getting the other person to welcome correspondence from you. You know, smile when I see, when I see an email from Teo Roxon versus, you know, like, oh, hit delete, you know, because I don't want to read it. <laughs> I think that's uh, something very no, no, important. No, 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 that's a great tip. Yeah. I, it's funny, a lot of these things you're saying, I, I didn't necessarily think they were practices, but uh, these are things that I, I normally do. Because I'm naturally, uh, I'm a, the more you get to know me, I'm a very quirky, <laughs> corny person. So I always do, uh, I have a bad joke. I used to do a lot of bad joke Friday. So on a Friday, anyone around me knew that a corny joke was coming, What it, you know, in some format, when it, whenever they received a message from me. So you they would come to expect it. And that's these are people I work with. These are my family. These are friends. Uh, these are clients. So I'm like, oh, and w some Fridays when I missed it, people were like, wait, 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 is something wrong with you? And I was like, I thought you always make fun of me when I used to do that. But that's the, that's like what you were you were saying. It's 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 doing something, you know, with that positive anchoring and like, okay, you know, at least you put a smile on someone's face today. I love that. You made them. You're, you're bringing. Uh jokes and smiling into your business and your interactions. I know that you were on David Ralph's podcast and he says what differentiates his podcast is that he brings laughter into it. That's what makes his podcast unique. Yeah, David Ralph. Oh, David. <laughs> I love David. <laughs> um, yeah, no, he's, he's, he's definitely good at that. Definitely, for sure. So, Teo, tell me, what else can we do now that we're on this, you know, we've had this pretty epic conversation about uh, understanding and becoming more evolved, more aware beings. What else do you recommend? You know, what else should we strive for? Uh, what else should we strive for? I mean, I I, I think first of all is, is assuming positive intent. So if um, you know, we talked about educating ourselves. We talked about tapping tapping into your curiosity. We we talked about getting to know your neighbor. Um, we talked about doing all those exercises. I think one thing that we need to also do is is in addition to having a gratitude journal, we should have a personal journal where we're we're keeping ourselves accountable to the goals that we want to achieve. Um, and when you're when I'm saying goals you want to achieve, too many of us settle, and out of when we settle, we become worse versions of ourselves. I think we become the best versions of ourselves when we're striving to be um, to achieve the goals that we've always set out to achieve. And by being the best versions of ourselves, we're being positive contributors to society. And by being positive contributors to society, you're in, um, you know, you're already becoming a better leader because when someone comes to you, you're in the best mood to, to, to help them out. Or you're potentially a gateway for someone else to, to, to another industry because you're becoming a better connector. So be curious, educate yourself, focus on maintaining what it is that you want to achieve. Don't let, don't let, you know, um, haters don't let life get in the way instead get in the way of life and say this is the goal that I've had and even if you fail there's always a lesson out of that failure I mean, I'm sure you've had many failures as I have but there's always something that I learned from that whether it was it was a different approach or a different um, uh, mindset that I, I had going into it it always informed me and educated me on my next decision so I think we should just try and be become the best versus ourselves and stay um make sure we're competing with ourselves um five years from now 
Yeah, that's a great point. So becoming the best version of yourself is just having goals that motivate you, that actually inspire you so that you can inspire others. Is that correct? Yeah, and living in a state yeah. of constant challenges. I, I, yeah. I, I never, every time I find myself um, being complacent, I, I just give myself a challenge. My current challenge right now was, is, um, you know, two months ago I said I was going to learn Spanish in six months. Um, and that would make me trilingual in six months. And I gave myself the arbitrary goal because the ultimate goal for me was I speak French, which helps me connect with a lot of Europeans and my fellow Africans because a lot of West Africans and North Africans speak French. Uh, but if I want to connect more to, to people and understand their point of view and understand where they come from, you know, Latin America and, uh, and, and you know, a lot of Americans here, I live in New York uh, and I live in the Spanish part, I have to know the language. Um, and, and that to me was a challenge. I was like, okay, I'm not going to have school. I'm not going to have anything, but six months, I have to find a way to learn the language. And, you know, two months in, you know, I've, I've been consistent with that kind of stuff, but it's, I realized that I need to, to give myself that challenge and tie it to the ultimate goal of what I want to do in the future. So stuff like that. Yes. Uh, so making sure that uh, you tie everything that you're doing on a daily basis to your goals. And I know Napoleon Hill uh, mentions, and I think George mentions intensifying your desire over time, which is the op opposite of what other people do. You know, their, their interest in whatever <laughs> they're doing wanes over time. And they're like, oh, this is so boring. But if you can like become even more motivated, even yeah. more inspired, uh, as you continue, then you're going to be way more successful than everyone else you're gonna sometimes success really comes down to being the last man standing and just persisting oh absolutely and it it's it's really knowing your why like simon sinek says which is why i said tying into your goal why you're doing what you're doing those boring moments um you know will, will be more bearable just because you you understand that it's a process and you start to appreciate the journey uh, more than more than the actual destination I have another Nelson Mandela quote for you, which reminded me of what you said earlier. Uh, he said that after climbing a great hill, one finds that there are only many more hills to climb. And uh, yes, <laughs> <laughs> and I totally find that to be true because I've, I would do things like accomplish one goal and then it's like, okay, you know, I, what do I do with the rest of my life? And I found that I've, a couple of times I've reached a point where um, my goals don't really inspire me, you know, and then I kind of feel really lethargic and I need to kind of reactivate my imagination and maybe do a little bit more, you know, absorbing information than I'm putting out information, you know, and do, listen to people and find new sources of inspiration, do some reading. And, and then I set this goal that I wanted to fly a hot air balloon around the world. And that really inspired me. And I, I have fun sharing it with people. So, you know, here I am in Chiang Mai learning how to, uh, waking up at 4.30 every morning to help crew the balloons, you know, to help lay out the tarp, how, you know, attaching the balloons and stuff like this. And, you know, it's interesting because when I arrived there, the lady told me that, you know, this might not be what you expect. You know, you might come here with these expectations and find that this really isn't for you because sometimes people don't want to wake up every morning and do all this hard labor. And I never felt that way at all. I'm like, you know, I'm just really happy to be here. I just have a positive outlook on it all. You know, it's, it's kind of fun waking up at 4.30 and seeing the sunrise every morning and, you know, being out in nature and getting a little physical exercise and really just kind of moving forward to my dream of learning how to pilot these things. And it's just an interesting metaphor, you know, because a lot of people would go into that with these expectations and say, 
well, you know, I'm volunteering out here. I'm not being paid. Uh, I have to wake up so early, and this is really uncomfortable. I don't think I can stick through with it. But I don't feel that way at all. I just feel blessed to have the opportunity to do this here in Thailand. You know, when other people are, you know, going to commuting to jobs that they hate every morning, I just feel very blessed about it. And I think that's the kind of the attitude you need to take in any endeavor in your life. You know, love it so much that you're willing to do it even if you're not being paid. You know, and bring a positive attitude and show up every morning. I, I, attitude is a lot of. I mean, is is in many cases almost everything. So, I mean, I love the story that you shared, and that's a great example of of you know not only challenging yourself, but also you know doing something that makes you happy. But there's a very big uh, mission attached to that, and that's a personal thing to you. So. Keeps and you here up. You are, you know, you're up uh, almost at 3 a.m. and you're not. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I haven't heard a single complaint from you during this conversation. No, there's no, no, there's no need. I mean, there's, it's no need to complain because it's. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm like, it, you, haven't, you haven't said, hey, come on, Dan, this interview is too long. When are we going to wrap this up? You know, like, you're still, you're still here <laughs> and you're positive and, you know, you're, you're giving everything you have to this interview. And that's kind of what it, it's all about. is showing up and, and giving your all in each moment and it really comes down to well a lot of the things that we discussed in this call and having goals that are worth pursuing exactly exactly and you know i mean you know and i can say the same for you i love the energy that you, you have and um you know i'm sure it, it's paying off and it will pay off more in the future well thank you so much for staying up so late with us Taya, and being so generous with your time and knowledge is there anything that you wanted to sign off? Is there anything that you wanted to, uh, anything people should know if they want to get in touch with you or learn more about you? Um, for everything about me, it, it's uh, tyroxin.com. That's that's the home. Um, you can find out uh, about, you know, YouTube show, podcast, um, anything that, that I'm up to. And feel free to, to tweet me, you know, at tyroxin. I'm at tyroxin everywhere, Instagram, whatever. And um, the, only, the only thing I always say, which is my mission statement, is use your difference to make a difference. Uh, everybody is different. Everybody um, has something to offer. And, um, you know, I, I want to encourage you to, to find out what it is that, that you can attach um, uh, a, a vehicle uh, to. And then just, just don't be afraid to soar. Many, a lot of life is about showing up. Uh, so just show up. Thank you so much, Tao.